Hi everyone, this is Sarah McFarland from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today's episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Fiona McBride from the University of Auckland. She recently joined us for a webinar where she shares her research that focuses on the relationship between blood pressure and blood flow to understand organ perfusion in health and disease states. Let's jump in. So the first question that we have here, Fiona, for you is, if flow is so sensitive to pressure, yet metabolically the brain requires constant precise oxygen delivery, why are vasoregulatory mechanisms not tuned to match supply to demand? He also mentions that this happens very well in skeletal muscle when it's exercising. Yeah, that's a really great question and it highlights one of the big differences between the brain and our other soft tissue organism. Skeletal muscle's got the ability when you put great metabolic demands on it that it can expand so it can accommodate more blood flow by the actual organ becoming bigger and the brain doesn't have that ability because it's encased encased in our rigid cranium. We certainly have a very sensitive way of fine-tuning the blood flow within the brain by a neurovascular coupling. I mean, that tunes that local blood flow to the metabolic demands. But that restriction in the whole brain level, which is the level that I'm studying, does make things a, a little bit more difficult for the brain. There's a limited capacity to, to expand to accommodate more blood flow. And so I think that's one of the reasons why you know, we see that slightly different relationship within the brain than we do in other organs. It's a good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Thank you for that question and for the answer, Fiona. The next question here, it's a long one, so I'll try and read it quickly. The finding that resting cerebral blood flow is lower in hypertensive animals suggests that the selfish brain theory does not restore blood flow to the brain at a time when the heart is challenged to pump out the same amount of cardiac output during a higher afterload. Why then is resistance to the brain higher if it's trying to selfishly maintain its own perfusion? Yeah, that's another good question. And I think it comes, it's really coming to the, that chicken and egg question about what, you know, what's happening first, that change in resistance or pressure first and then a change in resistance. And, and it might be an element of, of both. Um, but certainly we, so we think there's, there's reasonable evidence in both preclinical models of hypertension, such as the spontaneously hypertensive rat. And also I showed you some of the evidence in human patients that change in cerebral vascular resistance may predate the rise in blood pressure. And so I guess you could view the, the development of systemic hypertension in that case as being adaptive. So it's trying to compensate and keep cerebral blood flow higher, but it may not be achieving this perfectly, so we still see that decrease in flow. The prediction we could make is that if you you force blood pressure down in that setting, that you may actually compromise cerebral blood flow. And there's, again, I didn't go into it today, but there's some some evidence in in Emma Hart's work where you can see that patients who are being treated for high blood pressure have lower cerebral blood flow than patients who are not yet being treated, sort of recently diagnosed hypertensives. And that may also help explain why blood pressure can be just so difficult to treat. You know, even if patients are compliant with medication, sometimes it's really hard to get blood pressure down to a normotensive level. And that may, that some element of that resistance may stem from an underperfused brain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a very interesting finding, though, something that you wouldn't necessarily expect. 
if arterial blood pressure is dropping, that would create an imbalance between mesenteric inflow and outflow and a net shift of volume out. Is that what is happening such that the sympathetic blockade does not compromise the volume shift out? Yeah, well, we're still trying to tease out what's happening there. So that's referring to a situation where we're doing a volume depletion. Yeah, in the normal case, we don't see drop in blood pressure. And what, what I think we really need to do to address that question is, and we, we can do it with our recordings because we've got these really high resolution recordings of pressure and flow simultaneously, is probably need to do some modeling to try and pick out causality. So is it drop in pressure? Is that the driver for a change in flow or is it happening the temporal association of those events and we, we haven't got an answer for that yet but I hope that we will. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.